Welcome to the World of Commerce podcast. I'm your host, Marcel Hollerbach. In this episode, I spoke to Kuhn Leumanns. Kuhn is the founder and the CEO of the Dutch company World of Content. World of Content and my company Products Up teamed up last year in May with a merger to create the leading product consumer platform in the market. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we also spoke about the challenges of syndicating product data from brands to retailers. We spoke about the GDs and data pool, and we spoke about how AI can solve getting your products to market quicker. Also, I learned how the world of content logo ended up on the lap of one of Kuhn's employees. All of that you find in this episode. So let's go. At a certain point, he told me, like, okay, I'm going to take a world of content tattoo, but I don't have the money to basically get it. So if you pay for it, then... So I said, but I, I thought it was kind of a joke, you know, on, on Friday afternoon drinks. Um, but, yeah, uh, he said he sent me a message to, to transfer a certain amount of money for the tattoo, and I paid it. And I thought, yeah, this, he's never going to do it, you know, it will be some kind of fake tattoo. Or what. But in uh, Monday morning, he came to the office and uh, right away showed basically the tattoo, yeah, it is on his, uh, on his leg, so... Yeah, it was it was a hard thing to tell him that the company was acquired and we would change branding, basically. <laughs> we are here with a new episode of World of Commerce. I'm here with Kuhn Leumanns. Hi, Kuhn. Hey, good morning. Hey. Um, what I like to ask all my guests is basically, what's an item that you recently purchased that you really love? Um, I didn't purchase much lately. Basically, main things I purchased were, were stuff for my son. One thing I actually uh, like is uh, I recently bought a dinosaur egg. Not a real one. Uh, I cannot afford that one. But um, no, a dinosaur egg. And if you basically um, uh, open it, it provides yeah some kind of light on the ceiling through the entire room. My son really likes it. So it's uh, it's actually quite a small gift. But yeah, he has a lot of fun and with that, uh, me as well. Nice. Yeah. Did you buy it online or in store? Online, yeah. yeah. Amazon? Amazon in this case. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, to be honest, I uh, still need, need to get used to the... So, I, obviously, I'm from the Netherlands, and I like, in many aspects, Bol.com, because I get used to it. Yeah. But uh, but I'm more and more purchasing on Amazon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah oftentimes, uh, you can be lucky if you get what you what you purchase. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I have to say, looking at the, the range of products, it, it increased dramatically over, uh, over the last few months and years, also in the Dutch uh, Amazon um, marketplace. So, yeah, purchase more and more there now. Nice. Yeah, and this one, uh, yeah, was great. And uh, yeah, if my son is happy and quiet also, in some cases also helps, Yeah. Uh, then uh, then I am as well. Yeah. yeah. So, you're actually an expert on, on product data. Um, you're the founder of World of Content. Yep. company from the Netherlands. Um, how did you come up with it? And uh, why did you take on basically the nitty gritty hustle of dealing with messy product data every day? Yeah, now actually, um, um, I started working for um, Brandbank in, um, it's about eight, nine years ago now. Um, for uh, for the listeners who don't know Brandbank, can you quickly explain what it is? Yeah, uh, Brandbank uh, basically helps uh, also as a as a company between um, retailers and brands to uh, capture product information and publish that to retailer websites. So for me, that was basically the first introduction into the world of, of product data. And from there on, um, I worked there for um, three and a half years, and then I uh, switched to to Icecat, 
company in Amsterdam, a competitor, uh, basically also of, of, of Brandbank, although they operate in different verticals. So Brandbank was much more focused on fast-moving consumer goods, while IceCat is more into the consumer electronics and IT market. And they also acquired the third company, so I basically saw three different solutions. Um, and since I was always on the commercial side of the business, um, working with bigger brand manufacturers and retailers, um, I kept receiving questions which were actually impossible to answer with the solutions these companies had in place. And that was for me the reason to, to start for myself. Um, main challenge was uh, the technical side of it, because I didn't have any experience there, but we were in a lucky position that we found some great developers quite soon. And from there on, it actually took off right from the start. And uh, nah, obviously, um, uh, which is actually funny, I became, uh, I visited the products up basically as the only example before founding world of content. So I met you for the first time. Yeah, true. Uh, as well as Johannes, yeah. uh, who was uh, CEO back then. Um, and, and mainly, I mean, the services were not um, competing, but I like the branding, I like the way products are presented themselves because what I was known was what I already met with the companies I worked with was basically kind of a, a dusty image, you know, product data in, in many cases isn't that sexy. Um, but it depends, of course, what you do with it and, and how you position it in the market. And that's, for that reason, I like Products Up a lot. And yeah, it's actually funny that if we look back on it now, that uh, Products Up was the actual company that acquired my business um, uh, four years later. Yeah. 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 Now you already jumped deep down yeah, in, I, in the in the business. <laughs> Before we get there, um, you mentioned that at IceCat and and Brandbank, you saw some stuff basically that wasn't uh, working, or your customers couldn't do exactly. Uh, the things they wanted. Can yeah. you give a couple of examples what there was? Sure. Um, I was actually surprised to see, and it was also one of the questions we got more and more from brands basically, is that um, these big brands, they do a lot of research, like who are the actual consumers? Um, what target audience uh, is a product meant, meant to serve basically? Um, but in the end, if you look at nah, basically every web page, every uh, product detail page online, it's, it's basically a few lines of product information, just text, maybe in some cases a bullet point of one of the USPs and, and an image, but that's about it. You know, and that should serve basically for the entire market. Well, I was under the impression, I mean, look at, for instance, ads. Uh, I'm sure I get different uh, advertisements than, than you have based sure. on, on your behavior profile, etc. cetera. Uh, but looking at product content syndication, um, it's, it's just basically a few lines of text that need to serve for all of the target audiences, okay, in different, um, uh, markets, you have the translated version, but that's about it. So what I wanted to do is make sure that we could actually match uh, product data uh, and assets to uh, consumer profiles. Uh, and that's something why, one of the reasons why we're also able to grow quite fast uh, in the last few years. Um, another example was is the fact that some companies already have great software for syndication uh, and they serve quite a lot of channels or they have a partnership with a retailer so they can basically easily push information uh, via an API. But something that was also missing, in my opinion, is um, the fact that they didn't integrate communication in the in the whole platform mm -hmm. and collaboration in general, basically. So uh, it's basically, okay, you push your data from A to B. Um, but if you have a question, you would still need to reach out via email. You would still need to call the retailer. Um, which is annoying for brand owners because they work with many, many channels basically, but also for retailers that serve basically uh, or sell products of, from thousands of, of, of different brands. It's actually impossible to manage that. So we try to build smart technology to not only do the syndication part, to not only match 
um, consumer profiles to the actual data and create more value there, but also try to embed the collaboration basically between brands, resellers and retailers. So those are two examples of what we were missing and, and what we included in the, in the software. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you basically packed your bags at one point, started uh, the new business. I remember that meeting that we had here in Berlin. Yeah. I already knew that we, with Products Up, were also going in the direction. That's why we basically didn't engage much more with you, but I knew that you were onto something. Uh, we were back in the days, I remember vividly speaking with SAP um, about jointly solving that problem. Yeah. Um, so a lot of stuff was already going on. And uh, yeah, I think you you came up with a smart way to tackle the problem, right? So, Yeah, no, it, it, it turned out really well. And, and obviously, I mean, it was not, the idea was, was good. I mean, in the end it worked, but we were also, to be very honest, uh, very lucky a few times, yeah, because um, I know that basically the first three developers uh, we were able to sign <laughs> were just absolutely amazing. And, and two of them are actually still with the company and make a lot of difference when it comes to technology. And that was basically my weakness uh, and also the co-founder, uh, Stefan's weakness, that we didn't have much knowledge or, or no knowledge at all, basically, about how to develop uh, a platform. Yep. So we were actually really lucky there. And on the other hand, uh, for us also, COVID, um, I mean, in many cases, wasn't uh, a good time. But looking at the fact that, um, of course, the, the spendings within e-commerce increased uh, dramatically, Yeah, that was also an advantage. So it's a combination of, I think, uh, an idea that worked uh, based on knowledge uh, we gained at previous employers uh, and market knowledge in general, but also combining that with a few times where you have to be a bit lucky in order to, to grow fast as a startup. I think so, yeah. yeah. Luck and timing is a huge yeah. component. Was there, um, speaking of time and timing, was there a moment um, basically like in your first year or first two years where you realized, okay, we're really onto something? Like a customer uh, that got good, got good yeah. feedback, or yeah, actually, um, with I know that we started officially. I registered uh, the Chamber of Commerce in June, um, and then I know that um, we were having conversations with investors uh, a few months after, and we signed three smaller contracts basically. But on the other hand, we were working on a on a, on a pipeline of potential clients that that was becoming stronger basically every day. And so initially, we already had an existing network that helped, of course, we could reach out to, con to persons we already knew. Um, but still, it, it was very uh, surprising in some cases to see how multinationals, biggest, some of the biggest companies in the world, um, were interested in a service that we actually, yeah, maybe six months in advance started to build. Uh, um, looking back at it, looking at the software, the, the condition of the software back then, if you would look at it right now, yeah, in some cases you would be kind of embarrassed, to be honest. Uh, um, but still, it was an MVP. It appealed to, to brands. Um, so we were, from the start on, at least we had the impression, okay, we, we're touching something um, that actually sparks the interest of, of, of brand manufacturers and retailers. Yeah. And get that confirmation every time, um, yeah, is the best thing, of course, you can, you can realize. Or you can you can hear from from the market because in the end you just pitch an idea and hopefully uh, you get the response you uh, you hope for and that, that happened basically every time yeah yeah, yeah. sure yeah, I think oftentimes um, oftentimes for you as a founder it, it might feel embarrassing what you're offering but for the customer you're still solving a very critical problem and I think the the big strength of a, of a startup is that you you focus extremely on solving exactly that problem, right? Yeah. And you are not distracted with other things, like in, especially in software development, there's so much stuff that you can do, right? Yeah. That basically is not solving the core problem, but all of the things around it. Yeah. 
And uh, as a startup, you need to be focused, right? So and, and, and the customer sees that. I agree. And um, we, we try to make it as easy as possible. Um, I have, um, <coughs> uh, excuse me, um, uh, a good friend of mine. It was my former neighbor, actually, started the business in um, in healthcare and basically had very simple guarantees. Uh, and I basically copied that in order to, you know, avoid potential hassles uh, that could block basically a deal uh, so uh, for me that were basically two things so we guaranteed the brands from day one if you supply product information it uh, doesn't really matter whether it's data video images whatsoever we will make sure it becomes available within our platform within 48 hours just to overcome the obstacle because okay i have data in, in uh, a lot of clients had data in maybe six seven eight different locations and a combination of all of this data in the end goes to the market but just send, okay, send it over, we make sure it becomes available. And initially, there was, uh, was also manual work involved. Afterwards, we were able to build smart import technology, which made it also internally much easier to, to live up to that promise. But in the end, we always um, made sure that 48 hours importing. So from there on, you can actually start already um, maybe enriching some of the data, uh, but from there on, syndicating information. And this is where we had basically the second promise. Uh, the second promise was that in any case, we would make sure that the products you worked with with us would become visible for consumers in mm -hmm. the end. So it would really become live because that was the second obstacle. Like if you basically go to any uh, company that is in syndication, you all see the same logos of big brands, retailers online, but it's kind of a black box what really ends up sure. where. Yeah. And this is also something we try to overcome by just giving the guarantee basically every single data attribute that you see here, but selected for a particular retailer or marketplace will become visible for the consumer. If not, we will refund uh, the amount of money you have reserved for that retailer. So those two guarantees on import and basically the export side uh, helped a lot to convince brands, okay, but what's what's my risk now? Eh? Okay, yeah. I'd maybe spend some time, a few hours of work, but that's about it. You know, yeah. Otherwise I get it refunded. Yeah. Um, and that worked to grow fast, these guarantees. And yeah. I think also created trust uh, that we would deliver. Yeah. yeah, yeah, trust is important. You need it externally, but you also need it internally. Yeah. Speaking of internally, when we um, got to know your company better, yeah, one thing that I vividly remember is that uh, I learned that one of your employees actually has your company logo tattooed to his lap. Yeah, what's yeah, the story behind that? Yeah, I didn't expect that to happen. To be honest, um, uh, he was still an intern back then. Um, <coughs> he was graduating from uh, um, study commercial economics. Nowadays, he's he's doing he's still uh, running the marketing department, which he does an amazing job, uh, Sven. But um, yeah, at a certain point, he told me like, okay, I'm gonna take a world of content tattoo, but I don't have the money to basically get it. So if you pay for it, then so I said, but I, I thought it was kind of a joke, you know, on on, on Friday afternoon drinks. Um, but yeah, uh, he said he sent me a message to to transfer a certain amount of money for the tattoo, and I paid it. And I thought, yeah, this he's never gonna do it. You know, it will be some kind of fake tattoo. Or but in uh, Monday morning, he came to the office and uh, right away showed uh, basically the tattoo. Yeah, it is on his uh, on his leg. So, yeah, it was it was a hard thing to tell him that the company was acquired and we would change branding basically. <laughs> but at least, uh, no, yeah, it shows uh, dedication. It shows also 100%. that he's a bit crazy. Hundred um, percent. But yeah, it's it's definitely a special special story. Yeah. So let's see. Probably in twenty years, he's gonna have a, like a startup hall of fame yeah. on his lap. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Uh, I think he has a a bright future. So uh, yeah. hopefully, uh, he will contribute to more success stories. But um, no, it's really funny, and uh, it shows some some of the dedication. But also, I mean, 
uh, yeah, it was actually a nice introduction when we had um, uh, basically the introduction for all of the products up uh, employees. Yeah. Uh, this was one of the things that, that stood out, uh, you know, made it part of the presentation that he had the tattoo. Uh, and I got uh, so many questions afterwards, but it was real, and, and he showed it to everyone. Yeah, it was crazy, but uh, but yeah, very funny. Yeah, you gotta love it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Now, when in 2017 I had a I had a meeting with uh, someone uh, in Waldorf with SAP, and um, he told me, "Look, we've got a couple of customers, and they're struggling to get data." into the GDSN. I've at that point never heard of GDSN before and just learned at that point that it's a huge thing, especially in uh, fast moving consumer goods, yeah. right? In brick and mortar retail and so on. I want to dig down a little bit more um, into what that is. And maybe you can give us a, um, like a, a brief like intro on, on what the GDSN is and, and, and what, what problems yeah. basically come with it. Yeah, GDSN uh, is the abbreviation for Global Data Synchronization Network. Um, so especially it's in, uh, especially within FMCG, it's basically also our starting point. Um, we knew already a lot of clients with FMCG. It's very important, uh, especially with food, that mm-hmm. uh, there's that's good data quality, and also brands and retailers register that data in the very same way. Um, so to to name an example. Um, especially with food products, looking, for instance, at allergens. Uh, if a product contains nuts, you definitely want to uh, mention that, of course. I mean, it's mandatory, but uh, like um, what happens with, with, I mean, if you wouldn't mention uh, that there's an aller- allergen in it, then, yeah, you would have had, a, you, you could have potentially a big problem, of course. People can die from it, uh, health risks, etc. So you want to avoid that at any time. So what GS1 does, uh, they introduced in, I believe, the 60s, they introduced already the, the barcode, as we know it today, mm-hmm. to scan products, mm-hmm. have basically a unique identifier for every single product, which helped a lot. But from there on, they looked after not only the identification of a product, but also uh, the standards, basically, that come with it. Uh, so everything that can be standardized is basically in scope of, of GS1 and with that, uh, the, G- the global network, GDSN. Um, so, yeah, but still there's also a lot of, of issues, I think. Um, so what we see a lot is that brand owners, retailers, but also GS1 themselves um, are checking the data quality manually. And in the end, that's never the solution to improve quality, I think. Because, yeah, if you have to rely on people, with all the best um, uh, efforts they put in, there's still a risk, I guess, uh, that something goes wrong, you know? But we also see since there's pressure on pricing is that companies outsource the services. uh, And the risk with that, for instance, is that you have at least less control over data quality, but also people that are not no native speakers working on on data, which is basically not. So a lot of risks there. So what we did is we developed, uh, uh, we call it Certify. Mm -hmm. It's a product that automatically by use of OCR and AI, scans what's on a digital label of a product mm-hmm. and uh, basically maps that automatically in the uh, data model of GDSN. Uh, and that works extremely well, actually. So from, again, uh, I told before, uh, I didn't have much of uh, much technical knowledge when I started. So for me, it was also a guess, start working with AI. Um, and then even when uh, we started to work with uh, f- initially with an external company for our first couple of months. They told us, yeah, we start somewhere. We do, know, do not know what uh, the output is. Um, so, yeah, let's see, basically. But they did charge quite a lot of money. So it was, it was exciting for us to see, okay, what's going to happen. But it turned out well, actually. Um, so nowadays what we do is basically uh, capture information automatically. We decrease the time 
basically from weeks of data capture, it took about other companies two to three weeks to manually type over information and push it to, to GDSN. We can do that now in seconds. Uh, and that works really well for the market. So it's one of the points that we expect this year also to grow a lot. Uh, so the Dutch market, the GDSN the Netherlands adopted it first. We were licensed by them and afterwards also Belgium. We're now having conversations basically half the world uh, within GS1 to see, okay, where can we land this basically? Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds hilarious that uh, people are actually in 2023 still typing in data. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there's dedicated teams within the organizations of brand owners and retailers that look after this. And uh, yeah, I think in the end, technology will make the difference. But on the other hand, I it's not it's no miracle that companies didn't do it before because I think now over the last year or two, basically the state of technology is in a in a certain position mm -hmm. that is actually good enough to to bring value to the market. And I doubt whether that was the situation before. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I love about um product data and and also like shattering some things that you said is that there's so many many levels to it right so you have you have this level of let's say getting data from a to b in the right format consistent yeah. um making sure it's um it's safe right if you're a cpg company that you mentioned that the nutritional information is correct and so on yeah But also if we look in the market and you have companies that are doing direct-to-consumer selling, they have very different struggles, right? Where it's more about the content and the audience and the consumer and how to get uh, products to them. Yep. So why do you think, um, I mean, if we have this GDSN data network, right? Um, and in theory, that, that sounds like a very useful thing, but from what I learned, it's it's basically stuck with, with retail, right? So when you, when we look at some of the modern stuff like Pinterest and TikTok and, and all of the meta um, mm -hmm. properties, you don't really see that. Why is that? I, I think there's a, a clear line um, between, let, let's say, what's the standards are basically and everything that is commercial, which is typically not standardized. You know, as a brand owner, um, I mean, you want to be different than your competitor, most certainly, right? And this is typically something um, uh, which is out of scope for basically the whole GDSN network. And this is also where companies like World of Content, Products App combined, now come in uh, and make a difference and add value, you know? Um, and then we get back basically to the story, okay, uh, we want to move away from one p a piece of marketing information and image. And we want to make sure that we actually make sure we reach the exact consumer and form him in the right possible way. Um, and this is typically something outside of, of GDSN. Uh, so it's, it's, it has everything to do with standards. So uh, ingredients, nutrition, uh, nutritional mm. information, uh, consumer contact information, everything that is standardizable and basically helps the consumer um, um, with mandatory information that needs to be covered. Uh, and in the end, I mean, it goes, we didn't cover that yet, but Brands push basically the information to GDSN and GDS, from GS, GDSN it goes to retailers and mm. they use the standards from there. But on top of that, every retailer uh, needs additional software, additional solutions to cover basically the commercial part. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, th that's what companies like, like Products Up uh, are strong with. We've seen a lot of um, generative AI emerge. Um, in the last year, like very prominently ChatGPT, yep. right, which is based on OpenAI's GPT-3. 
Do you think AI will play a big role going forward um, in this whole space of product data, content creation and so on? And, and where are probably also the limitations today? Yeah, I see a couple of uh, opportunities. I think in data, from data quality point of view, in the end, you need smart software to manage hundred thousand millions of products, potentially, uh, even in a certain market area region. So on a global scale, there's so many products, so many languages. It's impossible to manage that just by manual efforts. Um, so f for that, I'm 100% convinced that in the end, technology and definitely AI will make a difference. Um, actually, we're already doing that. Um, in addition, what I, where I also see opportunities is uh, generate product information. So uh, based on all kinds of parameters um, and components, make sure that you generate optimized product information for individual consumers. Of course, this requires close collaboration between brands, retailers, uh, to make sure that you actually actually do that. But this is where I see opportunities. On the other hand, there's also a lot of limitations when it comes to AI. You know, it's 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 not something that will solve right away all our problems. Uh, to be very realistic, I know ChatGPT looks extremely impressive, uh, and the whole world is is looking at it, uh, which is nice. And AI, you know, like if I think in the past. Um, There's, there's also a big part of AI, which is just statistics, basically. Sure. And I think looking back in time, maybe 20 years ago, um, it wasn't really sexy. Nowadays, uh, if you're a data scientist, if you work with AI, you're uh, hardest kid on the block, basically. All right. So huge difference, which is a good thing because it, it, it also pushes, I think, technology and uh, drives it forward. But yeah, like I just said, um, when we started, and this is basically what every data scientist will tell you, it's huge difference compared to a developer who say, okay, I can build this and I will deliver it in sprints and then I have a certain deadline and then we'll be ready. Um, and this will be the output and you get basically what you ask for. With data science and AI, it's completely different. You just start somewhere and along the way you try to improve it, but you do not really know the, the end point or where you will get. Uh, and in many cases, I've seen uh, initiatives which were actually quite disappointing in the end because technology wasn't in a state that it really could, could add value. So, um, yeah, it depends a bit on the use case. I think mm -hmm. it can definitely make a difference, um, but there's also a lot of limitations which we need to take into consideration. And, and, and yeah, hopefully the technology will will develop uh, fast enough to uh, to provide these solutions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a lot of stuff going on for sure. Google just this month, like, announced right. their BART. Yeah. Right, so their competitor um, to OpenAI and ChatGPT. So let's see what happens. I think um, AI works pretty good whenever the result doesn't need to be 100% exact, yep. right? Everything in the creative space, like generating creative images, uh, stuff like this, um, whenever you need a 100% exact uh, result that you can also reproduce, yeah. we still see some struggle there. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And this is also, especially if you move into new territories. I mean, for instance, um, looking at the pr product we currently have on the market for the, for the data quality improvements, um, We see that if there's a great database behind it, if we have seen a lot of products, the technology could becomes really, really accurate. But if we move into new spaces, if we see new logos, we need to train, we need to keep on training and improving. And uh, and it's really promising to see the results afterwards, but it's not. it doesn't come right away. It doesn't develop itself. Uh, there's behind it a, a big data science team. There's a great data management team that actually looks after certain checks. So what we, for instance, do is we capture data attributes automatically, and those come with a confidence score. If the confidence score is below a certain level, someone will check what's going mm -hmm. on and feed it back basically to the system in order to improve the, the, the performance for the future. 
So it's not like everything goes fully automatic. There's a lot of people, smart people behind yeah. it that, that, that work on that on a daily basis. And still, uh, reaching 100% is not, a, not, a, not yeah. realistic. Yeah, absolutely I think right. uh, a smart man once said, uh, AI is not going to replace people. No. But it's going to replace the people not working with AI. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. So it's interesting to see, and you know, it, it it's also, uh, but but you have to tell the honest story, I think, if you have an AI product. Uh, it's not a miracle. Um, yeah. uh, th there's also limitations. Um, as long as we are aware of that, I think it can really contribute more and more to in our daily operations. Yeah. Yeah. It was super insightful. Um, I asked you in the beginning, what was the last product you bought? Do you have anything on the wish list for the future? Um, anything on the wish list? Um, not not much actually at the moment. Um, a happy man, I love. Happy it. man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I celebrated my birthday a month ago, and uh, I basically had the same struggle. So everyone was asking, "What present would you like?" I couldn't think of anything. But uh, in the end, I have to say, family and friends were creative. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, Perfect. not much on the wish list at the moment. To be love honest, love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Kuhn. Thank you. And uh, speak soon. Thanks for having me. Ciao.